Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. The Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest from the world of daily fantasy sports and gambling. So you can stop Googling how to join a squid game to cover all those parlays you thought were such a sure thing. Now, sit back and listen to one of the sharpest minds in the game. Here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. I am your host, Dwayne Callender. We have more playoff action this weekend. Uh, last night, we saw the Colorado Avalanche take a 3-0 series lead over the Edmonton Oilers in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the Western Conference Finals. A lot of a lot of dirty plays, to be honest, going on in that series. I'm just going to be perfectly blunt. Colorado played one of the dirtiest games of hockey uh, of the playoffs this year, and I think Edmonton's going to be the team that gets the suspension out of it because Evander Kane had a boarding call against Nazem Kadri of uh, running into Jordan Bennington fame and multiple, multiple uh, dirty hits in playoff history. But uh, Kadri got boarded last night. You know, a couple of years ago, would Evander Kane get a game misconduct? No. I don't even think it would have been a five-minute major that he got assessed with. But in the current state of the game, it's a boarding call that he was lucky not to get tossed from based off of how they make rulings now because Kadri left the game with a head injury and he served a five-minute major. You know, Edmonton survived that, but realistically, it kind of gave more incentive for Colorado to complain to the refs. And Nathan McKinnon did a number of very... Very questionable plays. Like he, he had a slew foot on dry. Uh, I I think I'm pretty sure it was dry saddle that he slew foot. But there were a number of plays where Nathan McKinnon should have been called for a penalty. Was not called for any penalties. Uh, I I'm not gonna be uh, like I'll be perfectly honest. I was stunned. I was stunned in their own building that Edmonton was getting hosed on calls, and you know Colorado eventually got a uh, pulled ahead. Uh, for the victory, uh, and basically the series is over. Because I think, on top of losing the game, I think Edmonton's going to lose Evander Kane because technically, by their own guidelines, Kane should have been ejected from the game because Kadri had a head injury. And so I think there's going to be a disciplinary ruling today. Uh, you know, and we'll probably get an announcement ahead of um, uh, Monday night's game. That Kadri, uh, that Kane is going to be out. Kadri probably won't play for Colorado with them up 3-0. And, you know, the, the Oilers are, like, without Vander Kane, who has been, I would say, outside of McDavid, their second-best player. Like, Dreisaitl has, hasn't had a terrible playoffs, but Kane has been better than Dreisaitl. I think Edmonton's done. Uh, truth, truth be told, uh, Mike Smith has reverted back to being Mike Smith. Uh you know, this is why I thought they were going to lose to Calgary, to be perfectly honest. I still can't believe they beat Calgary as handily as they did. I really thought that matchup favored Calgary heavily over Edmonton. But Colorado is just, you know, for the style Edmonton wants to play, Colorado's just flat out better. They're just flat, flat out better at an all-in offensive style. I think it's going to take a, a team from the East to uh, take out Colorado because I don't see any way of 
Edmonton coming back in a series. I really did. Like, I just like barring multiple injuries on the Colorado side. I just don't see how Edmonton makes a comeback in this series. I, I think it probably ends in a sweep at this point. I thought uh, Edmonton was going to take game three, but you know, Kane stayed in the game. And even with that, I know Colorado played it. Uh, it was a very dirty game. In my opinion, that they, they, there was a lot of cheap shots going on that they should have been called for. They weren't, but Edmonton's got to play through and find a way to get it done. They couldn't get it done at home, and they're down. Uh, they're down 0-3. I, I just, I don't see it. I do not see it. It's going to be Colorado in the Stanley Cup final, and the way Colorado plays, it's a very chippy style. If the refs are going to let Colorado play like that, you know, it's going to be real tough sledding uh, for Tampa or the Rangers. Uh, kind of coming through. The Rangers obviously up 2-0 on Tampa. Game three uh, early this afternoon. Uh, you know, my quick thoughts on the game, truth be told, I think Tampa takes it uh, just in terms of desperation mode. I think they come out against the Rangers pretty hard. They try to go on the power play. I think the Rangers' best chance of winning the game quite simply comes down to can the Rangers get on the power play and make Tampa pay? They got a penalty kill and power play. I think five on five, Tampa's just a better team than the Rangers are. Uh, they're going to beat the Rangers on faceoffs. Uh, in terms of 50 50 battles, I think, you know, the Rangers uh, play hard. They can match it up evenly. But I think over the course of the game, the faceoff discrepancy is going to catch up to the Rangers along with the shot uh, discrepancy. Tampa's going to outshoot the Rangers. But it kind of comes down to can. Igor Shesterkin make 40 plus saves because I think that's what it's going to take for the Rangers to win this game. I think Igor's going to have to make 40 plus saves and the Rangers are going to have to find a way to get three goals past uh, uh, Vasilevsky uh, today. I, I Maybe not game four, but I think today it's probably going to be three goals. I, I don't see Tampa scoring less than three. Uh, as good as Igor has been uh, the past couple of games, I just, I have a hard time seeing Tampa not responding and putting up a bunch of shots on Igor and not to say Igor is going to struggle, but I just think that Tampa knowing what they need to do to win uh, this game. I think they pull out all the stops and yeah, they're going to get chippy with the Rangers. They're going to try to force the Rangers into bad penalties too. you know, the Rangers have been playing far smarter than they have been the first two rounds of the playoffs. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but the Rangers have been playing Tampa tough, so I could be wrong here. But I do think Tampa kind of takes uh, uh, game three. That would be my lean on the game. I think uh, the uh, the betting markets are also in favor of Tampa. I, I would say one thing, though. The Rangers have to stay out of the box. And it would not shock me if <clears throat> just knowing the way the referees are, if they start calling penalties on the Rangers, uh, and just like uh, making life miserable for the Rangers in general with just idiotic penalties that should be 50-50 calls and it just goes against the Rangers every time. It wouldn't shock me either. But I'm going to try to be positive and think that the referees are going to do a good job and that it's going to be down the middle, even though, fr quite frankly, it's not going to be down the middle. It's going to be heavily slanted towards Tampa. But as, uh, as an observer, I will hope for the best Expect uh, that the Rangers are going to get shafted on more than a few calls today. But it is what it is. So, in terms of showdown contests, uh, yeah, I, I 
you know, for NHL, I would say I do like uh, the idea of playing both starting goaltenders uh, for hockey purposes uh, because I would lean more towards the Tampa side. You can play, uh, you can play uh, Vasilevsky. I don't necessarily have an objection to playing Shesterkin because I think he's going to make a ton of saves against Tampa, even though I think Tampa's going to score a couple of goals on him. I think you're going to get that 35-plus save bonus out of Shesterkin, so it's not the end of the world playing Shesterkin. And you can even play Shesterkin builds where you play Tampa forwards up top because, again, there could be a, a scenario where the Rangers don't put up enough shots against Vasilevsky to make him truly worthwhile to play at the price tag. They're both, uh, I think Shesterkin's coming in at like 10,600 uh, 10, and Vasilevsky's coming in at like 10,800. Um, so there might be a scenario where you don't play Vasilevsky just to save salary and then just play forwards like Kucherov and Stamkos. I, I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world either, or Hedman. It's like, I, I think you can play that top uh, top line for Tampa in their power play unit and hope that, you know, Shesterkin puts up a bunch of go- uh, saves and then Tampa gets some power play goals. Uh, on the Rangers side, yeah, you can obviously go back to Zibanejad, Kreider, Adam Fox and ride the Rangers power play unit and then play the kid line. Uh, if you want to differentiate too with, uh, Hito, uh, uh, Capo Caco and Alexis Lafreniere, because I think it, that's where it kind of comes down to The Rangers aren't scoring five on five. It's going to be coming through the kid line with their fresher legs. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I look at it from a DFS perspective on the hockey game. But in terms of the NA, uh, NBA playoffs tonight, we got game two of the NBA finals. Uh, Golden State got shocked in game one, but truth be told, the reaction from the Warriors, not exactly the uh, sounding worried. And to me, that's kind of a warning sign that the Warriors are still not taking the Celtics seriously because the Celtics won game one. And I don't think it was that much of... I think people are shocked that the Celtics won that game, even though the Warriors were up. I'm not shocked that the Celtics won that game. Because if you look back at that first uh, uh, first, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, first quarter, I mean, Boston blew multiple coverages against Steph Curry. Steph Curry went off, but Steph Curry was getting open looks that he should never get. Like, period. Uh, so to me, I thought the aberration of that game was the first quarter with Steph Curry, not the fourth quarter. The the fourth quarter where Boston kind of shut down uh, <coughs> the Warriors' offense. That's not exactly. Uh, that's not exactly uh, uh, to me. That that's not uh, something that people should be uh, 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 shocked about. To be perfectly honest, yes, the Warriors. Uh, uh, the Warriors uh, it, it, it gave uh, it gave up a bunch of points in the fourth quarter, but it was because the Celtics' defense uh, clamped them down, and you know those uh, long rebounds led to fast break points for the Celtics, and they uh, they took advantage. Like to me, that's not the shocker. The shocker was just more the fact that Steph Curry got so many wide open looks in the first quarter, and obviously, yeah, Steph Curry's going to bury those shots. Steph Curry should not be getting any open looks ever in an NBA game. But, yeah, the Celtics had a couple of breakdowns on defense. And, yeah, that 21-point first quarter, you know, sunk me from a DFS perspective because at that point, the Steph captain builds were pretty much going to be 
uh, an optimal build on DraftKings and FanDuel. It's just, you know, it is what it is. Like, he had that floor. Going forward in the series, I am still kind of leaning towards the thought process of I want to target uh, the Warriors' weakness in the post. I think Al Horford is still going to get looks in the post, and he's going to be able to knock down three-point shots. I think uh, the Celtics did find success with that small ball lineup and are going to go right back to it. And some of the things that I did notice was, uh, you know, Gary Payton Jr., I mean, Gary Payton II, um, did not play. And part of the reason why he didn't play was uh, Steve Kerr went with uh, Andre Iguodala and Otto Porter Jr. I didn't think uh, Otto Porter Jr.'s foot was going to hold up as long as it did, but he still played 24 minutes. And Iggy took up all the playing times for Gary Payton II. Um, Now, I know... Uh, you know, people don't want to go back to Iggy, but if, uh, as long as Iggy gets cleared and, you know, this is one of those things where you're going to have to like kind of check, uh, uh, check for injury news, uh, as I'm recording this earlier in the day, um, you know, we're, we're still like 11, like for some reason, Yankees are playing at 1130 today. I still haven't figured out why MLB is having a, a baseball game start before noon. It's bonkers, but right now it's around 11. Um, uh, as it stands, like, you know, we don't have any uh, true injury news, but uh, I would say keep an eye out for uh, Otto Porter Jr. and Iguodala. If for any reason those guys are l- limited in any capacity, Gary Payton II is going to get back on the court. Uh, he should be getting back on the court. Uh, the only thing is, is that if both of those guys are clear to play, you cannot play Gary Payton II. Uh, it's like, I got burned by that, but, you know, Steve Kerr is going to ride Iguodala and Otto Porter into the ground before he plays Gary Payton the second. Uh, for defensive purposes, he trusts those two guys. Gary Payton the second is the third option and a distant third. The fact that he didn't get any playing time was all I needed to know about how Kerr valued his rotation because he's going to shorten that bench and Payton is going to get squeezed out as long as those guys are healthy. The other issue is... uh. Kevon Looney did not play a ton of minutes. He only played about 20 minutes in that game total. I don't think in terms of his pricing, because because of the Dallas series, he got priced up because of how effective he was. This is not the Dallas series. Boston has uh, post defenders. Kevon Looney is not getting those easy buckets that he was getting before. So it's just, you know, I just don't see any scenario where Kevon Looney outside of both Robert Williams and Al Horford getting injured where Kevon Looney is even remotely relevant in this series. So to me, this kind of comes down to, all right, uh, we have to now uh, evaluate how we want to attack the Warriors because public opinion is still on the side of it was a fluke that the Warriors lost that game. And I'm here to tell you, folks, this is a six or seven game series. I said it from the outset, and people are not adjusting to this fact. The Warriors got caught with small ball, and Steve Kerr is being a bit stubborn, saying that it wasn't that big of a deal. So this game, two is going to be a very big deal to see if they actually acknowledge that they got caught with their pants down with the small ball lineup and make some adjustments. Because if they don't, 
Derek White's going to shred them. They're like, he is going to shred the Warriors. So I didn't think Derek White was going to have that much of a role in the series because I thought the Warriors were going to be understanding they actually need to guard the, the, the Boston uh, uh, guards uh, and not let them take open three-pointers. Apparently, the Warriors have the opposite thinking of I do. They think as long as we shut down Tatum and Brown and force those guys to keep drilling open shots, that they're going to win. I, I'm sorry, but Miami tried that. Milwaukee tried that. The the bench players for the Celtics beat those teams. I I, I don't understand. Uh, yes, Tatum uh, Tatum got his points, but like those role players put up points. So ah, uh, this is this is kind of bizarre to me. I like uh, I like the idea of going with uh the backcourt of the Celtics in Marcus Smart and Derek White playing those two on DraftKings, even though normally I wouldn't. If that's how the Warriors are going to play defensively, I think I have to respect the fact that the Warriors are going to be stubborn about this and allow both Marcus Smart and Derek White to shoot open shots. And if that's the case, one of those guys is going to score 25-plus points. Uh, I think both guys are scored over 25 to be honest. So I'm going to have to bump my projections up off on both guys because of how the Warriors played uh, against that Boston small ball lineup. Cause I think eBay, Yudoka figured it out that if I go small and I think he's going to go even smaller, I think he pulls Robert Williams Suter, <coughs> and he just has Horford at the five and lets that roster play out. So Derek White comes in instead of Robert Williams. And then you use Robert Williams more as your relief guy to give a blow to uh, Al Horford and you bring on Grant Williams. And that's how uh, Udoka plays out the rotation with Peyton Pritchard in the mix as well. But that's it. That That's the Celtics lineup. Eight guys. So that's it. I, like, I, I think it's, it, it, it becomes a very straightforward series. So on the Warriors side, it, it really comes out to, do you believe that Steph and Clay with the wing defenders Boston has are going to get off their shot. I think this is a trap spot because people are going to go right back to Steph Curry because of that monster for first quarter. But what do you do the rest of the game? I, I have my doubts about uh, the Steph lineups. I got crushed last game. I got crushed last game by the Steph lineups. I don't think I'm getting crushed this time. I, I think if I'm playing the Boston side and I'm under uh, going to under project Steph and clay, because I think they both struggle to get off clean looks. If they don't score 20 plus points, like, well, Steph could get there from the free throw line. But what I'm saying is at their price tags, they're going to need to score somewhere in the high 20 range to pay off value. Clay is definitely going to need to score 22 to 25 points. Because Clay doesn't really get rebounds and assists. So he's pretty much a, a scorer, just like Jalen Brown is. I'm lower on Jalen Brown than other people, but I still like him more than uh, uh, Clay Thompson. So for me, I, I know people are thinking this is kind of a crazy take, but if the Warriors play play up the way they're, they played last game, the Celtics plus four and a half is the call tonight. And just, and just bet, uh, bet the uh, four and a half on the Celtics. 
So as much as people may dislike Boston and the Celtics, I think if the Warriors play that way, where they're leaving Marcus Smart and Derek White wide open for to shoot uh, three pointers, yeah, Boston could have a bad night shooting in, in the second game, but I think from a DFS perspective, that's what you take your chances on. And from a betting perspective, I think a small ball lineup favors the Celtics than the Warriors. I think the Warriors are going to have to start making some adjustments about how they're going to defend guys because the way they were talking about it, that that it went to game plan and, you know, Marcus Smart and Derek White just hit shots, but they don't expect them to hit over the course of seven-game series. I I think uh, I think there's going to be a longer series than people anticipate. And because of uh, the public being so heavily on the Warriors, I think from a DFS standpoint, you have to be playing the Celtics side. I, I think that's a smarter play. So uh, I just kind of laid it out for you. I, I like playing uh, Marcus Smart and Derek White. You can play Jason Tatum lineups with that. On the Warriors side, because I'm down on Steph and Clay, you're going to get work out of Draymond because Draymond's going to be dared to shoot by the Celtics too. Like They're going to be clamping down on Steph and Clay. Draymond's going to be there chucking shots. Andrew Wiggins is going to be there chucking shots. You know I hate Andrew Wiggins, but guess what? He's going to be one of the guys getting uh, open looks. Uh, Otto Porter's going to get uh, looks. Someone's going to be open besides Stephen Clay. So you target the guys who are not getting all the attention. I think this is a pretty straightforward build for game two. That's where I'm going. We'll see how it works out, but uh, that's all I got. But uh, yeah, I like uh, I like the Celtic side of things uh, tonight. If the Warriors stick to the game plan that they didn't do much wrong in game one, I think they had a lot of more corrections to make for uh, from game one, but we shall see if they actually made those corrections or if they were pretty adamant about uh, sticking with the game plan of just letting Smart and Derek White beat them. So that's all I got. Uh, best of luck to everyone. Enjoy uh, a full day of sports today because we got uh, we still got a lot of baseball. Uh, we got hockey uh, early afternoon and an NBA Finals tonight. So uh, plenty to watch today, uh, uh, throughout the day. And, uh, yeah, have a good one, folks. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets.